would please open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 16. Genesis, chapter 16. Abram. Sarai. Two main characters that we've been reading about in the book of Genesis, and we will continue here in chapter 16 and 17. Now, Abram was a man of faith. We know this. We know the scriptures. We know not only in the Old Testament, we also know in the New Testament. Uh, he was, God is, uh, saw him as a, a man of faith. And we have seen God visit Abram so far five times in the scripture in the book of Genesis. Today we'll see him appear to Abram a sixth time. The question is, why is God going to be showing up to appear to Abram again? You know, good or bad, God is going to show up and reveal himself here. And we will see how that will play out. But why does God show himself this time? Well, we'll see here that Abram and Sarai will take a major detour in faith here in chapter 16. And God's, from God's direction and from their pilgrimage walk with God as a, to walk by faith in the promises that God has given them. And they're going to take a detour from that faith that faith and belief in what God has said to them. Remember, when God gives a promise, there is always a gap between when he gives you that promise from his word to the point where he fulfills that. There is always a gap, and that gap is always in variety, but typically that gap is so long that it causes you and I to literally be stretched in our faith and trust in what God's word had told us. And that gap is between the giving of the promise and the fulfillment of that promise. And we will see here this gap that God has given them is 13-year gap for Abraham. And if you really look in totality, it was even longer than that, up to 25-year gap from when God gave Abram this promise and, and Sarai to the point where he fulfilled that ultimate promise. And you get upset if he didn't give you the promise fulfilled within the 30-minute time that you did give him uh, and ask for that request in prayer. Sometimes we can't even go a day, let alone a week. And here he is, in this case, we'll see uh, 10 years and 13 years. I mean, it just all added up very quickly for Abram and Sarai. But the question is, why the gap? Why does God have to give us these gaps between giving us a promise in his word and actually fulfilling it. And that is because he uses that to prepare us in the area of faith, to deepen our faith, to widen our faith, to exercise the muscle or the strength of our faith. That is why he gives us gaps. Because it was always instant, it would not much be testing there at all. So here in chapter 16, verse 1, we are going to see where Abraham or Abram and Sarai takes a detour in faith. And it starts here. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, 
had borne him no children. And he had he had and she had an Egyptian maidservant who whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children from her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. So we see here uh, an interesting uh, request from Abram's wife. We find her in an interesting situation where her faith is being tested. And this gap of time of what God had promised and now still not seeing that fulfilled now tests Sarai and now Sarai does a few things that I'm sure never happens to you. You can't even relate to this. So hang on, just get through this part. You can't relate to this part, but some might be able to. We see here that Sarai goes to her husband and says to him, you know, honey, uh, you haven't given me children. We haven't had children yet, and we're to have children, and I know my age, and I know your age, and why isn't this happening already? And I've been thinking, and I've got a plan, and I've got a way where I can get what I want to get. And that is, I want a child, and we're going to figure this out. And I've got a plan, and you're just, please, honey, please. And for some reason, her husband listened to his wife. He heeded her voice, it says. Now, what's interesting is all the other characters that come in here, this, this maidservant, Hagar, if you notice, he, she's an Egyptian maidservant which means they picked her up as a maidservant while the first time they disobeyed God by going to Egypt. So you can see when he was disobedient to God the first time, there's a residence of residuals of consequences to the decisions you made when you were first disobedient. And it's now tying over now in the new beginning, here in the new promised land, this is tied over from the past, is now brought into the future. And now that is now going to impact him once again because now here Sarai looks at her husband and says, you know, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. He is not giving me children. Will you please have this sexual relationship with Hagar so that she can have a baby and that will be, uh, be able to be my baby? Because in those times, in those according to customs and cultures of the, the land of Ur and Babylon, it was not unusual for them to have a surrogate mother for them to have a baby. That So this, this arrangement would be made between one couple or one person with another couple or the, with the woman who could bear a child for them because they couldn't have a child. But this strange practice of the world was not what God intended. The child would be considered, yes, the, the child of Abram and Sarai because of the fact that Hagar was the maidservant of Sarai. But also take note, nowhere in these first two verses, and we'll, we will not see anywhere, 
that did Sarai go to her husband and say, you know, Abram, I've been praying and I've been seeking the Lord and, is the, and, the, Lord's, and the word came to me from the Lord that said, this is what we should be doing. And nowhere in the scripture did Abram say, wait a minute, sweetheart, I, I hear what you're saying, but I need to seek the Lord and find out what his direction is on this and get confirmation from the word of God himself before we make this decision. Nowhere is that ever said. The feelings of woman overpowered the, of, of the, and made compliant of a husband who should have seeked the Lord as a spiritual leader in the household and not been swayed by his wife at this point. But Sarai felt very deeply, absolute compassionately, that this is what needed to have happen because she leaned on her own understanding. She leaned on the culture of the world and, and, and the, the things that were legal and, and right and available to her. So she was leaning on what she could see, not on the faith of the promise of God. Maybe Sarai probably felt it was time to do something. So they take matters in her own hands. And so perhaps she, along with the lines of the old unbiblical proverb that's out there that so many people say, God helps those who help themselves. That is so unbiblical. But it's so common in the Christian verbiage. Even though the surrogate motherhood was common and accepted in that day, it doesn't make it right. God was clearly not leading Abram and Sarai, but their flesh was. And they're leaning on their own understanding to accomplish what they so deeply felt like they want to accomplish. Now remember, we're talking about faith here. And always the next question should be is, is, okay, then what is the evidence of faith? Biblical faith. Let me give you those four evidence, those four elements before we move on. First is the, you are willing to wait on the promise of God. Hebrews 6.12. You are willing to wait. If you're not willing to wait, you're, you're, you're just being tested. In that time of the gap between the promise and fulfillment. Are you willing to wait for God to fulfill his promise by his word that he's given you? The second is you are concerned only for the glory of God. Romans 4.20 If you want to, you're willing to wait but you want it to please yourself and not to bring glory to God, then you know that faith, that, that testing right now, that faith of yours is, is, not, is not in line with God. Everything that God says for, he's going to do for you, you must be willing to wait and that he gets all the glory and not man. Then you know it's faith. You know it's biblical faith. That means you're not leaning in your, on your own understanding on, in your sight. The third one would be, you are obeying God's word. Romans 10, 17. True faith is based on the word of God and not on the wisdom of man. That's why you will always hear me say, where did you, God show you that in the word of God? 
and then you'll hear me say, and then I listen to the verse you show me, then I go back to the context of the word and say, is that in context of what you're saying? Because trust me, you can sit there and say, I want this, and I know the pastor is going to ask me where in the word of God is, is confirmed this, and then and, and I'm going to find whatever verse I can to fit my, my reasoning why I'm going to do what I'm going to do. No, no, no. You, that doesn't go quickly for me. I'm going to go back to the context and say that verse is not in context. That verse doesn't apply to that situation you're talking about. So that's important for you to take that in consideration as well. So if it's from God, you know the verses he's given you is going to be in context in line with what he's, he's given you the promises of. And the fourth one is, you will receive God's joy and peace in that. And you can go back and you can uh, read Romans 15, 13 about that. So if there's four evidence or four elements of true biblical faith. You were willing to wait. You're concerned for only for the glory of God. You're willing to obey God's word and God's joy and peace within you, within your inner man, will be fulfilled through that. So while Abram and Sarai was waiting, God was increasing their faith and patience and building character, as we know in James chapter 1, verse, the first first four verses or so, reminds us how God builds our faith, our, our faith, our character, our patience within us, the refining us and, and bringing about the fruit of the Spirit. But then they took a major detour in their faith, and that's what happened here is that Sarai was, had waited long enough for a child and became impatient. That is a key word. When you find yourself becoming impatient, you know that be aware, you be on alert, that you could make a mistake by emotionally responding and jumping ahead of God. If you become impatient, you know that it's not of God. You must ask him to back, come back to the base, come back to, 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 uh, uh, to prayer, come back to the word of God that he promised you, come back to what he's already told you. Impatience is a key word of knowing that you're about to do a Sarai moment. Because remember, God has a perfect timetable for all that he wants to do in your life. And it's his timetable. It's his promise. It's his way. It's his timetable of fulfilling that promise and not you and, my, and me. Now it continues here. We now see because of her impatience, Sarai now lays out the plan. She moves ahead in the plan of going against God's, God's promise here. And he says, then Sarai, Abram's Wife took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. So they went ahead with the plan. Here they're in the promised land. They've been there 10 years. And still no children. Ten years and still no children. And she's up there in age. She's wondering what's going on here because I can't have babies here. Something has to be done. Now, ten years seems a long time for you and I. And for even Sarai. 
to wait for the promise of God to be fulfilled in your life. The long waiting of the promise discouraged them, made them vulnerable to, in, to acting in their flesh, to respond in their flesh of waiting. Yet even after this, it would still be another 13 years we will see before the actual fulfillment of the promise by God. See, when we are impatient, trying to fulfill God's promises in our own effort, in our own ways or the worldly ways, it will accomplish nothing the way you think it's going to be accomplished. You may even prolong the actual fulfillment of that promise. You may actually be hindering for God to be able to come because he says, now I can't do it because you're going to get all the glory or someone else is going to get the glory. I'm going to have to wait. I was right around the corner going to fulfill that promise, but you've decided to take matters in your own hand because you're impatient. Okay, I'll wait. Go ask Jacob who had to live in exile for 25 years because he, he thought he had to arrange his fulfillment of God's promise to get his father's blessing. What about Moses? He had to go into the wilderness for 40 years because of the fact that he took upon himself and he killed the Egyptian trying to bring about God's way. It's a warning for you and I. Don't mess with God's timing of what he wants to do. Be patient and wait and be joyful. The fact that God even gave you a promise. And he would fulfill it. Just be patient. So Abram certainly acted according to his own power. Obviously he was in his flesh because he decided to follow his wife's lead. And he agreed to inseminate Hagar and, and not to trust God's ability to provide an heir through Sarai herself. Now remember, a key word. Every time you hear remember, I usually say that for a reason. Remember, not everything that is legal or that appears to be successful is approved by the will of God. God never accepted Hagar and Ishmael as Abram's wife and son. So yes, they were successful in getting pregnant. Yes, the boy came along. But that doesn't mean it was right and good in God, and God did not accept it. Why? Because whatever is not of faith is sin. Romans 14, 23. So when you say, I don't know why God hasn't done this and why we haven't moved or why we haven't been able to accomplish, I'll figure out another way to do it because I just know God wants me to do it. And then you go about it and then ends up, it prolongs what God wanted to do, really wanted to do in your life. But then all of a sudden you end up doing and you're able to accomplish what you really wanted to do, but it actually was sin because you actually went against what God has asked you to do. To patiently wait. And there's consequences from that. So when you just look at these, just these first four verses here, you can see Abram and Sarai's life was just basing on the four evidence of biblical faith. Just look at it. You know, they were unwilling to wait for the, for the Lord, but rushed to do their own plan. 
You can see in these, these verses that they, were, they acted only to please themselves. I want a baby. And not glorifying God. God didn't get glorified in any of that. They were not willing to obey the word, the promises of God. They, were, they, were, they certainly did not bring joy and peace in their hearts or their home, as we will see. They had nothing but conflict from the decisions that they made. And it continues right here. It'll show it. There's going to be a family fighting here, family feud right here in verse 5. And then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. You know what that means? It simply means I blame you, Abram. It was her idea. And she turned around and blaming him. And it should be because he did not become the spiritual leader. He, he became passive leader and he allowed his wife to do whatever she wanted to do based emotionally. And then he participated. But she says, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. And the Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is, is in your hand. Do to her as you please. Now, if you remember in verse 4, when, when Abram chose, yes, okay, I'll, I'll, I will inseminate here Hagar. What happened? Sarai became very displeased and did not like Hagar. It was her idea. And once she saw that her husband and her, and her maidservant had this, 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 this moment, this relationship, she ended up despising her. Then we sit here, we see Sarai then, then blaming the husband. And then what happens? She now things flip around, and we see in the scripture, now Hagar now despises Sarai. Why? Because Hagar now becomes prideful and becomes, in that culture, when you had a baby, then you were looked upon as something good. If you did not have a baby, people looked down on you like there's something wrong. So now here she is, has the, the baby from Abram, who's the leader of the entire tribe. Everyone knows it. And now the, Hagar looks down at Sarai and say, you can't have a baby. But I had his baby. Now becomes division within the family. complicating things, making things difficult. There's stress within the family unity because they went outside the promises of God and they did it man's way, the world's way versus God's way. And then thinking things even worse, Abram did not step up as the spiritual leader of the house to bring order and bring things back into, uh, into a way that would uh, please God, and there's only one thing he could have done. Him and Abra, Sarai, there's only one thing they could have done and they should have done in this moment. They should have humbled themselves and came and just surrendered and confessed their sins to God Almighty and said, we screwed up, God. 
we went ahead of you and we leaned on our own understanding and we screwed things. God, forgive us. There's no repentance in here that we see. We don't see anything change so far in the scriptures here when they recognize they screwed up. So what happens? Abram says, well, okay, woman, you just do whatever you want to do, whatever pleases you. That's your maidservant. He didn't want anything to do with it. That's not what a leader in a household does. You don't sit there and say, well, mom, you do whatever you need to do with the kids. Wife, you do whatever you do with the kids. That is not leadership in the house now. That should never be. You come and you make a decision with your spouse, and when you make a decision, you're head of the household, you'll be held responsible. You must make that decision in unity with your wife. But even if you're a disunity, you need to seek the Lord and do whatever God shows from the word of God, regardless of how your wife feels. Because if not, you're going to have challenges within with your kids. And you will see problems surface with your kids from that. And it continues here. So now we see this all taking place. So what it needs to happen? Submission. There has to be a humbleness. There has to be submission there, before this is all going to change. And now we see God intervening and things are going to start changing here. Verse 6, a second part of verse 6. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, Hagar, Hagar, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord. Make note in your Bible, this is the very first time we see this, this phrase, angel of the Lord, mentioned in the scriptures, and it should be a capital A in your Bible for angel. Found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to serve. To serve. And she said, Hagar, and he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Woo. Here's the angel of the Lord. Now, capital A, and we know here by scripture, here's the pre-incarnate presence of Jesus Christ once again, who went out seeking after Hagar to talk to her and to give her direction to go back to the maid, to her, uh, to, to Sarai and under the leadership there at that household. To go back to that. We see that the second person of the Trinity going out and seeking after and then bringing Hagar back into God's will. For she fled. It's very common for people. When things get difficult, people have a tendency to run. Versus seeking God and asking what God wants them to do first. And we assume this is, this is Jesus and not God the Father. Why? Because we see in John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has de declared him. We also see no man has ever seen God in the person of the father, 1 Timothy 6.16. So therefore, 
If God appears to someone in human appearance in the Old Testament, it makes sense that the appearance is the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. This is his incarnation before, before he comes on the scene in Bethlehem. And he says to her, Hagar, go back. Return and submit yourself. Be humble. Go back. You've got prideful. You look down at Sarai. You, 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 you just you know, look down upon her and it causes conflict. Go back. Submit yourself. And then what happens? Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. Okay, now he's getting, she's, he even gives her insight. This baby hasn't even been born yet. And he gives him the description of what he is going to be like. And I love this. Because when God uh, brings about a baby and starts knitting together the baby in the womb of his mother, he already knows that baby and what he's going to be like. And I always tell people, you can see that baby, right? You can, I, we can see when he comes out or she comes out, but God already knows. With that child, he is blessed you with a gift, what he or she's going to be. This is not a surprise to God. That's why he wants us as parents to seek him in everything when it comes to child raising. We act, oh, why is this happening? How do I have this strong-willed child? Oh. God already knows it. And he has a reason. He knows he's not going to give you someone. He, you can, he, he's not going to give you the strength to handle it. So seek him. He's going to help you through this. And sure enough, we see that he's going to be a wild man, verse 12. His hand shall be against every man. <laughs> he's going to cause strife with every man on the planet here. And every man's hand against him. So not only will he be against them, but they're going to be against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brothers. So God had a great plan for Hagar's child here, Ishmael. He would become a great nation, it says. He would be the father, as we know it today, for the Arabic people. He represents all the Arab tribes, peoples that we know today. Even the, ch the challenge that we see here between the Jews and the Arabs is nothing new. It started right here in the decision that Abram and Sarai made in their flight. And we're still reaping the consequences today. Two half-brothers, Ishmael, and we'll soon see Isaac. Two different, one that was brought about by the flesh, the other one by the spirit. And that effect is now affected generation upon generation and nation upon nation. Be very careful in your decisions you make, thinking that it's only going to affect just you. Sin never affects just you, but everyone around you. 
And he was to call his name Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears. And Ishmael was the very first man in the Bible to receive his name before he was born, just like John the Baptist and Jesus himself. But we see here that Ishmael's life was not going to be easy. And God told her right in the very beginning, your son's life is not going to be easy. He's going to be a wild man. He's going to be going against the people all around, and they're going to come back against him. It is not going to be a life of luxury and simplicity, but conflict, strife, and all the above. Verse 13, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. This is Hagar saying, saying this, you are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Ber Laheroi. Observe, it, it is between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore the Abram a son, and Abram's, Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now remember, Sarai was 10 years younger. So she's now 76 years old at this point and believes she can't have a baby and hasn't been able to have a baby. Abram being 86 when Ishmael comes into, onto the scene. And we see here in the interaction between the Lord and Hagar that here is an Egyptian woman who didn't have the faith, but obviously it was part of the uh, a family of faith of Abram and Sarai. And she sits there and says right there to the Lord, you are the God who sees. Because remember, she comes from a pagan world that had many gods. But she now knows this is the God who sees. See, there's very clear to her who this is. Because it can, God, this God sees her life and knows what's going on in her life down to the detail. But what's interesting, and I think is sometimes very encouraging, Hagar hadn't been looking for God, was she? No, she was hightailing it back to Egypt. Hadn't even seen God before. Hadn't even found God before. It was God who saw Hagar. It was he who revealed himself to her. That's why I'm always encouraged when I think of my unbelieving family. They may not be looking for God. They not even, have never even heard from God or even saw or even saw anything of representing of God. But I know that God is seeking after them. Because he wants none to perish. No, not one. He died for all. And that gives me hope that one day... God will reveal in a way that our loved ones will say yes to the voice of God. That yes, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you want the forgiveness of your sins, you just need to call upon his name and he'll be saved. That's my hope. Is that your hope as well for your loved ones that are not giving their life to Christ yet? So apparently, Hagar saw, heard, and was obedient to the God who sees. And she went back to Abram and Sarai and obviously submitted to Sarai's 
into that uh, the household. And, uh, and Abram named that child Ishmael just like Hagar told him that God said he was to do. Just as he's instructed, and Abram listened and uh, did that. Now we see what happens next in, verse, in chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, he was 86, now 99. There's been some time here. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between, you, between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. So here's the sixth time that God has come and showed up and appeared in front of Abram. Give him a little instructions and reminder. Undoubtedly, this appearance of God in the person of Jesus, who took on that temporary human appearance before his incarnation on earth. Here he is, and he's very clear to remind Abram who he is at 99 years old. I am almighty God. El Shaddai, God who is all-powerful, all-sufficient, El Shaddai. Can I remind you, Abram, whom I am? Did you forget the fact that I am all-powerful and all-sufficient and I'm going to do and can fulfill all my promises? Yes, even the promise of you and Sarai having a son that would be that lineage that would bring the Redeemer. Sometimes we do forget that God is all-powerful and all-sufficient, don't we? In our time of crisis, our time when we see things, how are we going to survive in those things? Where is the provision going to come from to be able to live? Where is this situation of sickness? How is this going to happen and what's going to happen to everybody if something happens to me? You must and I must spend some time so God can say to you, just like he said to Abram, El Shaddai. I am almighty God. situation you find yourself in. Trust me. Not only does he say, I am almighty God, walk, Abram, walk before me and be blameless. What does blameless mean? It means to be complete or whole. Give your whole heart here, Abram, to, to dedicate it to me. Don't give me half-hearted walk with me. Don't be walking behind me. Walk before me. I have set a path for you. I have made it lit. I have given you clear directions on the promise. Just do it with your whole heart of following me. Not half-hearted. Because this half-heartedness that you're giving me now has caused the problem that you're finding yourself in. So let's come back to where who I am. So God reminded Abram that he has not forgotten the covenant that he made. Though it's been some 25 years since the promise was made. Do you think Abram forgot the promise? 
I don't think so. And God certainly does not forget anything. And the last time we see in the scripture, the last time the Lord communicated with Abram directly was more than 13 years prior. So what was going on in those 13 years of the last time God revealed himself to him clearly? Was he just wandering and just living life however he wanted to? Or was there a normal relationship between him and God? What? We don't know, but all we know is that it wasn't obviously a close enough walk because God had to remind him, I'm the almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Give me your whole heart. But just remember, we know the end of the story. God even used all of this in Abram's life to make him a great man of faith. All of our mistakes, all of our detours in our faith, the many times we've taken our eyes off of him and went to go do our thing, it doesn't make it right that we did it. Matter of fact, you're probably living with consequences because of it, and other people are suffering from the fact that you did it. But the fact that God is not giving up to do a start a good work in you and complete that work in your life as a child of God. He's not giving up on you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. That detour just extends the time of the blessings and the promises being fulfilled in your life that he wants to do. I don't know about you, but I don't want to cause delays because of my selfish detours I want to make. I want God's promises in his timetable, his way, so there is no negative weight that causes within my life and my family's life and people around me. I hope that's your heart as well. That we too know that he's God Almighty and that we are to walk with him and to be blameless. That with all heart, our full, whole heart, complete heart, dedicated to him. And then Abram fell on his face. That's a, that's a submission posture, is it not? And God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be a father of many nations, Abram, he is. No longer shall your name be called Abram. Your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you and, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between you or between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are, the, you, you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Do you see what happened? Abram immediately just dropped and put his face to the ground in submission because he realized he needed to give his whole heart to God. Not half obedience, 
complete obedience. Complete devotion. Not pick and choose devotion. I worship God the way he wants me to worship him. Not, I worship God however I want to worship him. And he puts his face to the ground, and then God reminds him of the Abrahamic covenant that God gave him so many years prior. Remember, through chapters 12 through 15, laid it all out to him, the promise of God to him. And if you notice here, he lays it back out to him as a remembrance. Just in these verses 3 through 6, he covers the principle of grace. Abram, or Abram, Abraham now, I will, I will, I will. 24 times we saw in those chapters. Abraham, I will. I will do this. I am going to do this. I will fulfill this. I will all the way through. Do you trust me? He encouraged Abraham. The fact that he was going not only to be a father of many, which meant for Abram, to now Abraham, the father of many nations. If you notice, he God adds an H, or in the Hebrew language, that fifth, that fifth element, that fifth, that number five means biblically grace. Unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. He added grace to him, his life, this moment, at this time, and changed his name to Abraham. There was no doubt. You imagine Abram his whole life. Abram, how are you, man? I'm great. What's going on in the family? How many kids do you have? You're a man of, a father of many. How many do you have now? Zip. What? Is it the woman that God gave you? Nope. God just having. I don't know why. And now God is saying, Abram, I'm going to step it up one more time. I'm going to make you Abraham. So when people come and say, hey, Abraham, Abram. No, no, my name's Abraham. Now God changed my name. Well, Abraham, that's the father of many nations. How many children do you have? One. But that's not the one God says is going to bring about through you. How humbling that must have had a conversation with him at 24. But God steps it up and will fulfill. So yes, the first Abrahamic covenant, principle of grace. Second, we see that he established that between him and his people and the generations to come. The entire Jewish people as a whole, that promise was reestablished right here. And also the third and everlasting covenant. This wasn't a temporary covenant. This is not, Jewish people wasn't for, God was for the Jewish people only for a certain period. And then 70 AD, he no longer cares about the Jewish people. No, it's an everlasting covenant regardless of what we say. It's his people and it always will be his people and it does not change. Right here, his covenant, everlasting covenant. We can even see that uh, reiterated in Ezekiel eleven seventeen. 17. And then fourthly, we see in this passage 
that God said the land that he said he was giving to them, that 300,000 square miles of land, that even though they've only possessed about 10% of it under Solomon's rule, all that land was given by God in his everlasting position and no one else is to have it except for God's people. And one day, Soon and very soon, we will see that God is going to bring all that possession of all that land under God's rule to his Jewish people. We know it because God said it's an everlasting possession that he's given us. Verse 9, and God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight, year, eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any, any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant and the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin that person shall be cut off from his people he has broken my covenant so God says now I'm going to you, there's a change on the inside I want you to now have an outward sign to everyone around you that you're, you're, you're with me, that you're my people. And that outward sign is to show that there has been a circumcision of your heart. Your fleshly heart has been cut away. It is now lives for me. You're going to now cut off the foreskin and of all males, regardless if they came from you or you bought them and they're part of your family, Every male, including you, Abraham, must be circumcised. That is a commandment. Guess what? That's exactly what we will see and has seen as, as we continue. We will see this outward sign of circumcision being throughout the generation to be. That they were to do this and God did not give any indication that you, if you didn't do the circumcision, you made a decision that your heart wasn't for God and that you weren't moving forward and being obedient to God. And because the circumcision is a cutting away of the flesh and it's an appropriate sign of this covenant for those who put no trust in the flesh any longer. Abraham, you and Sarai put your trust, Abram, you put your trust in the flesh and see what happened now. This sign is to remind you never to put your trust in your flesh. And it, today, the same ordinances is the same thing that we see in our walk today. Not that we have to be circumcised as a male, but baptism and communion. Baptism and communion, just like circumcision, did not save them. It was their faith in God that saved them. The outward sign was to show of that inner man change of being devoted to God. For us, circumcision we don't doesn't matter. 
what matters is if you've given your life to Christ, you no longer want to follow your flesh, and you've given your life based on faith to, in Jesus Christ, then you are to be baptized and, and for communion. That doesn't save you. It's just an outward sign of an inward change that has already taken place. And they were to do it on the eighth day for any newborn. Why? Well, because we know historically, and at that time, God's wisdom said it's the opportune time to do that circumcision for an eight-day-old eight baby because newborn children are susceptible to bleeding during that second and fifth days of birth because their vitamin K, the, the, the blood-clotting agent, has not fully developed in that baby at this time. So that time has to take place, and it's not until the eighth day that it's perfect where the blood clotting and the prothrombin, or prothrombin is the highest level in the infant's state of their life. And that at that point, they'll cut the foreskin, they will automatically clot naturally, and the child would not uh, be at risk of bleeding out. So God knew these things before now, medical world knows these things. If you ever had a child, they always talk about, let's get vitamin K into your baby right from the almost like moment after birth. Whereas God naturally would have built that up in the first few days of the child. But we see here, unfortunately, through the centuries, the Jews didn't see this covenant outward sign of circumcision of showing that takes place in the fact that they are a part of God's, uh, God's people and they are to follow God. Instead, they turned around and took the sign of this covenant, the circumcision, and because they circumcised, they think they're saved or right with God, and that's not true. It's by faith, not by this outward sign. Paul refutes this, if you remember, in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. The finished work is in Jesus, not an outward sign. Now, that makes one of the questions that come up occasionally. As a Christian, does that mean I have to be circumcised? No. Circ Christians are free to either be circumcised or not. I mean, you may do it because of social and hygienic reasons, but God makes it clear in Galatians 5, 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision or un nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Verse 15, And then God said to Abram, As for Sarai your wife, you shall call, not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Here we are, God showing grace and giving grace to Sarah as well. She too, on the fifth letter of the Hebrew of her name, an H, meaning the fifth, meaning grace, was added to her name, making it Sarah. God made it plain, very clear in the scriptures to Abraham that Sarah will have a baby, and it will happen. And Sarah was 90 years old at this time. 
we see Abraham is now 100. And you will see his, his response to God when he says this in verse 17. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall, and shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So here's Abraham. I, I think he was just in such shock to hear God say so clearly, Abraham, Sarah's going to have a son. You're at 100, she's at 90. You guys did everything in your power and your flesh to make this all happen. And here God says to him, it's going to happen. And all he could do is fall down. And I don't think it was laughter and doubt. I think he just, I think he was shocked. And he tried to say, well, Ishmael might live before you. I already have a son for 13 years and I've been pouring into this guy. He almost like, I'm, I'm good. Because I can't imagine this is truly going to happen, or this is happening. Have you found yourself that? Where God reveals a promise and says something to you, and you say, that could never happen? And you went, no way, God, God is just did not just say that. God is not just didn't just say, show me that. I, God didn't just reveal that. How are we going to make it? How are we going to just say, it just can't happen? And it's almost like a little, like a laugh comes out of you, out of you on that. I just don't think Abraham really understood still the power of his God and how big God is. Anytime you find yourself in a challenge, just say, but God. God is big. And if he promised, it will become about. In verse 19, then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, will, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. So God sees it. I see your laughter. I know it's hard for you to believe what I just told you, but let me remind you here. Yes, you sh Sarah's going to bear a son and shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princesses and I will princes and I will make him a great nation, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, from whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. He gave him the date. <laughs> the date when he Isaac was coming. And then he finished talking with him, and God went up, went up from Abraham. Not away, went up from Abraham. Our Lord spoke clearly as can be. Now, I find it interesting. Ishmael wasn't supposed to happen, but it happened. What happened if, if God didn't, if Abraham just said, uh-oh, and didn't really ask God for anything other than, God, forgive me for throwing him on our flesh, and then help me to raise this young man up, Ishmael. 
I find it fascinating sometimes because here's Abram or Abraham now or Abram at the time to ask God to bless and to do something with Ishmael's life. To be him. Let him be the one that becomes the great nation with the multitude. And God listens. What happens if Abraham didn't ask God for that blessing upon Ishmael? I find it fascinating sometimes when you what happens in place of you doing. Didn't matter. God listened. He says, I heard you, Abraham. I heard you about Ishmael. Behold, I bless him. Behold, you'll become a great nation. But that doesn't change that I'm going to make you a father of nations and through my covenant through Isaac. And then he wraps it up here, verse 23. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day. And God had, had said to him, and Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son, Ishmael, and all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. You see immediate obedience by Abraham. That very day that God said every male will be circumcised, he went around and circumcised himself, every single male. He incapacitated every single male in the tribe to include himself. He didn't sit there and say, I'm 99 years old. What, what, what's a big deal now? Right, we don't need to do this. We'll let everyone else do it. The younger ones will take care of it. No. You're the leader. Many of people, that would be foolish. You're now vulnerable for someone to attack you, and you're not even incapable of fighting. You're going to be out, and you're not going to be able to do anything for days. Abraham left it to his gut on the details of how it was going to play out. He knew God would protect him. God, he just was being obedient, obedient to his God, and he fulfilled what God told him to do. He didn't want to make another mistake and procrastinate. Oh, we'll just take a little bit here, and we'll see how it goes, and then we'll do a little few more males, and then we'll see where it goes. We could stretch this out over a few years. No, no. He just heard God's voice and did it. That is the way we are to be. Immediate obedience. No more detouring in faith. Go by faith and not by sight. Amen?